Have you told your parents yet? No. How long have you known? Not long. I wanted to talk to you first. What do you think they're going to do? Well, what do you think they're going to do? You're sure? Yes. You're positive there's no mistake? I'm positive. I just can't believe this is happening. I mean, things like this aren't supposed to happen to people like us. I mean, no one would ever think that we'd find ourselves in a situation like this. So, that's what you call this? A situation? Come on. You know what I mean. I, I just... I don't know if I'm ready for this. And you think I am? Well, you sure don't seem very frustrated about it. I was. That's why I came to you, so that we could figure out how to deal with this together. The two of us. Us? Do you have any idea what this does to us? Yes, I do. <laughs> this changes everything. Well, I would hope it changes nothing. How can you say that? Look, I know that having a baby is not the kind of thing we were planning on. At least not now. But we are. And, and it scares me to death. I have no idea what people will say or think or, or do. But there's no doubt in my heart that this is the right thing to do, no matter what happens next. I don't know. Look, if this baby were mine, it might be different. But the simple truth is, it's not. I just don't know if I can do this. You're right. It's not your child. And nobody said that this was going to be easy. But let me tell you something. I know you, Joe. And I know that you're a good man. And this responsibility would not have been given to us if we couldn't handle it. Mary, I have no doubt that you will do a wonderful job of raising this child. You're such a wonderful woman, and you have a great heart. But, but me? A father? Yes, Joe, you. There's nothing special about me. And the only thing about my heart is that it's a willing one. But this child needs an earthly father. And no matter what happens tomorrow or next week or nine months from now or, or 30 years from now, you are the man that was chosen to help raise this child. I, I just have so many, I have so many questions. So do I, Joe. Well, let's start from the beginning. You say an angel appeared to you? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Well, what did he say? He said, do not be afraid, for I bring you wonderful news. Bring the story up to date, and it seems a little more tangible. But there's also a part of us that probably gets a little awkward at this idea of a virgin who will be with child where it has to pass the muster of modern science, modern experience. It's a little safer to say, yeah, I believe in a virgin birth when it was 2,000 years ago. We were talking about the virgin birth when we were reading through the Advent scriptures, how hard that would be for us to believe today. 
And then it occurred to someone around the table that even then, there were only two people that really believed that we know of. And both of them needed an angel to show up to make it believable. So it begs the question, would we believe? I mean, would we really believe if Mary and Joe from our wonderful little clean-cut youth group of good kids who had pledged purity suddenly found that Mary was pregnant and came up with this story that an angel appeared to me and, and this is a supernatural thing. Would you really believe it? One of our young ladies in our fellowship came up and said, trust me, nothing happened, but I'm pregnant. Well, I don't think that we're any different than the people that were faced with this situation 2,000 years ago. And the reason why Mary and Joseph were able to embrace this in spite of the scandal, in spite of the scar and the social stigma that would stay with them for their entire life, was because they couldn't deny the presence and the words of God. I think everyone else had a real hard time with it, just like we would. It's no wonder that the prophet Isaiah, when he talks about the Messiah, says, who would believe our report? Even as he said these prophetic words about the Christ who would come, he said, nobody's going to believe this. So this sermon is respectfully entitled that famous Maxwell Smart phrase, would you believe? And the idea is not just to ask us if we believe the stories of Christmas, But what else does our life, our assumptions, our sense of reality, our history, our experiences, what else does it keep us from ever fully believing God? And what will it take for us to break out of that? I'm in Isaiah 53. It's a privilege during the Advent season to be able to look back centuries before the birth of Jesus and see how clearly The Holy Spirit gave prophets a vision of the Savior who was to come, the Christ. Beginning at verse 1, who has believed our message? (laughs) And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. I believe the next passage is not just about the end game of Jesus' life when he was crucified, but I believe it speaks of the life that he bore along with his parents because of the scandal that began at his birth. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hid their faces Do you feel the social shunning in that description? He was despised. We esteemed him not. But surely he took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. Pay careful attention to that. Even at the cross, as Jesus was fulfilling the work of God, supposedly righteous and religiously zealous men and women looked at him as being deservedly punished. Even as he took our iniquities, we considered him despised, not just by us, but by God himself. See, 
All of that goes back to this conception, this scandalous birth of Jesus. Who would believe it? Who would believe our report? Would you? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I think that for the people who had to face the incarnate Christ, supernaturally conceived by the act of the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin, the struggle to believe that Jesus was the Messiah in spite of the passages that we see here. Isaiah saying, this will be a sign to you, a virgin will be with child. That the one who would come would claim divinity. All these things, the the Jewish nation and the spiritual leaders of the Jews rejected outright when they saw Jesus. Even though Isaiah sees them perfectly. How could they miss it? Back to Isaiah chapter 9. Listen to what is spoken of here. We read it last week. Let's begin again at verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Let's move down to verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called. Pay very careful attention. Isaiah looks forward to the coming of the Christ. And he describes not just what he will do, but who he will be. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. We're not sure if those are separate descriptives or one. We either can look at it and say, he will be called Wonderful and Counselor. Or we can interpret it as Wonderful Counselor. Which actually makes more sense given how this passage moves In other words, there will be profound wisdom to the point where people will wonder at his words. And we know in the gospel that's exactly what happened. They marveled at what he said. The gospel biographers say that as people watched what Jesus did and what he said, they sat back and said, he does everything wondrously beyond his status in life. Wonderful, wise counselor. What's the next phrase? Mighty God. Imagine that. This Christ who would come, somehow he would be God with us, right? That's what the prophet said in chapter 7. A virgin will be with child. She will give birth to a son, and his name will be called what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Flash forward centuries later to the religious leaders of the day who championed these very scriptures looking for the Messiah to come. And look at one of the primary reasons why they dismissed Jesus' teaching completely. When they picked up stones to stone him because they were so angry at what he was saying. And he said to them, I've done many things. For what do you stone me? And they said, we stone you because you, a mere man, Claim to be God. How ironic that the prophecies about their Messiah were so missed by them 
in that period. Even though it's so clear here, the son that will be born of the virgin will be called Wonderful Counselor. He will be Mighty God. Not just a God, but then the next phrase helps us understand that he will be the God. He will be the everlasting Father. Not just the Son, not just an emanation of the divine. He will be the very God who the Israelites referred to as Father, now with us as Emmanuel. Everlasting Father, but at the same time, Prince of Peace. You take all these titles and and, and you look at them and you say, how can he be both king, father, and prince? That's the mystery of the Godhead. And Isaiah and the prophets saw this long before he would come. How is it that the great majority of the Jewish nation completely missed the coming of their Messiah? How is that possible? It's possible the same way our fixed ideas and experience keep us from fully believing and keep us from embracing what God wants to teach us today. Remember that by the time this prophecy was fulfilled, there had been 400 absolutely silent years from God. These powerful years that the Israelites read about the delivery from Egypt, coming into the promised land, and the prophetic words of the prophets. These things now were centuries apart. Think about it. More time had gone by from the words of Isaiah to the coming of Christ than we have been alive as a nation. It's why the angel said to come. We read the Bible as though it's one compact experience. It was no longer commonplace for men and women to hear from God. In Jesus, God was beginning a new thing. When's the last time you heard God's voice? We're very much a similar society. Our skepticism holds us back as well. 400 years. I think also their their experience, where they were as a culture, what was the primary issue that the Jewish people were struggling with at the time of Christ's birth? Yeah, it was the domination of Rome. You see, by this point, the Jewish people were very devoted to Jehovah God. Those years of idolatry and abandoning the faith, all those seasons of punishment and restoration had had their desired effect. Israel was faithful to their true God. They had the right beliefs. They looked to a coming Messiah. And yet, even within those beliefs, they missed completely his coming. I believe it was because their circumstances had twisted how they saw what God had promised. For instance, why would the Jewish people reject the whole notion that a man could be God? It was the whole emperor worship idea of Rome, that the emperor set himself up as divine. And eventually, they would come and set themselves up in the very temple that was devoted to the one true God. See, they were fighting against this idea of a man claiming to be God. And it caused them to look at even their own beliefs differently. Another thing they were struggling with, because they were oppressed, they were again held captive by a powerful empire, when they looked at the Messiah, what they were looking for was a coming kingdom, a liberator one who would come immediately and establish again the throne of David. 
So Jesus comes, and while everything Jesus does matches what prophecy speaks of, there are about 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Christ, and Jesus fulfills every single one of them. And while all that is true, and Jesus was very true to God's plan, the children of Israel, the very people of God, couldn't see it. We're blind to it. So many of them tragically missed his coming. I picture Jesus as he stood over Jerusalem about to enter, weeping over it, saying to them, if only you knew who it was who was visiting you this day. Now, my reason for bringing this up is not to denigrate the Jewish people of Jesus' time, but to help us see ourselves in it. Because the simple truth is, it's one thing to rehearse our belief in events that happened centuries and millennia ago. It's another thing to believe in what God says and desires to do and be in our life right now. Even though we in this room see ourselves as devoted to following Jesus, what is it about our assumptions, our experience, our 2,000 years removed from the miracles of Jesus that produces unbelief in our lives? What is it that God could do more fully if we didn't sit back and go, well, no, that doesn't really happen today. No, God says do that, but I'm still going to do this. What are ways that we still build our own lives, hold on to our own things as though they're ours in the first place, hoard, trust in what we can build for ourselves, what we can put in the bank. Interesting. 2,000 years removed, following Jesus, trusting in him supposedly, and we're still building bigger silos. We're still saying, I feel confident when I have more in the bank, more stuff. All that betrays our disbelief. It does. What I want you to do is just contemplate that. Think about that. What is it that I am not believing God for? I, I have to confess that if somebody stood up today and said, I'm pregnant and it's, it's God, I probably would dismiss that outright. And I'd probably have very good reason for it, and most of you would be happy that I would do that. <laughs> I don't mean to try to tie that up neatly for you. I'm just questioning whether we are any different today than the society into which Christ came which was devoted to the worship of God and the seeking of the Messiah. And in what ways do we need to let go of our skepticism, of our self-dependency, and believe? We're going to come to the Lord's table. The ultimate symbol of what we are to believe in ultimately, that this Christ who came... This child who was born of a virgin, who grew up despised and rejected, ultimately carried our sorrows, carried our griefs, took our sin, and by his wounds we are healed, we are forgiven. I'm going to encourage you today, as we come to the Lord's table, to spend time considering the state of your belief 
Now, there's no perfect belief. All of us are like the father of the epileptic who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But the important thing is that he said, help my unbelief. He didn't hold on to it. He didn't cherish it. My encouragement to you as we come to this this celebration of the the blood of Christ that was shed and the body that was broken, that we understand it's not symbolism, it's history. And our faith in it needs to reflect that. How is what I'm about to do here reflected in what I'm going to do when I leave this place? That's what I encourage you to contemplate as we spend time around the table. Let's go back to Isaiah 53 and let's say this together. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Scripture says on the night Jesus was betrayed as he celebrated the Passover. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, I want this as often as you eat it to represent for you my body, which is going to be broken. In the same way, he took the third cup of the Passover feast, the cup of blessing. And he said, this has new meaning for you. It's my blood. The blessing of God in your life comes through my shed blood, which makes it possible for your sins to be forgiven. As you drink it, remember me. Sit for a moment in prayer. Contemplate your faith. Maybe a time of recommitting afresh to Jesus, a request for him to help your unbelief, and then partake. When we're done, we'll celebrate. Let me just pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus' body broken and his blood shed for us. This is a familiar thing for us. The bread, the cup. We ask that in a fresh way it births a deeper faith, that you root out disbelief in us so that in a more powerful way you can enter our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.